about six months after I stopped making videos, that video exploded to 250,000 views, which of course to someone who's never ever had a video go viral before is insane. Tim from Hello Future Me is, with over 700,000 subscribers, one of the larger voices for analysis of world building in a fantasy world such as the universe of Avatar The Last Airbender, Lord of the Rings, and even How to Train Your Dragon. How did life far away from conventions and other meetings of geek groups led to seeking interest online and eventually internet fame? I am Alex, and this is Genesis. When you meet someone new, when you make a new friend, and the conversational inevitably goes to work and what do you do for a living? And they ask you about your job. What is your go-to answer? Okay, yeah. Uh, I always say that I make educational content online, uh, particularly to do with writing with kind of like a often a nerdy angle. Because saying I'm a YouTuber means everyone's assume, everyone assumes that I live in my parents' basement. <laughs> And and don't earn any money. <laughs> <laughs> that's uh, that's fair enough. Wow, we I always get a different answer out of this. It's those assumptions. Yes, 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 they are. Yeah, yeah. So let's get to the very beginning of the story. Mm -hmm. Where were you born? Oh, good. I was I was born in New Zealand, Christchurch, which is the other side of the world to basically everywhere in the world. Yeah, and uh, that's my beautiful home. I love it every every part of it. Do you do you still live there, or because I think you're still in New Zealand, right? Yep, yeah, yeah. Uh, born and raised in New Zealand. Went to university, school in New Zealand. I've never lived in in the other country. It's not not as easy, you know, compared to living in Europe or America, where you've got countries all around you. The closest uh, country to me is Australia, and that's a you know few hour flight away. <laughs> Fair enough. How was your childhood living there a little bit isolated? Was it difficult before the internet to like find content to consume and to be connected to like media that people were watching when the country is so far away? In New Zealand, like technologically, like we're a little bit behind the rest of the world. Like, you know, little things like PayWave, which is, you know, when you just like put your card against the thing. Like we didn't get that till years later and it's still not super common here. Like you only maybe a third of the shops will have it. I mean, I, I was not really hugely online as a kid, you know, uh, I, I, I didn't have my first laptop, you know, till I was probably in year 12 or 13, like 17, 18. I mostly used that for games. I wasn't super into YouTube, but then, oh no, I was pretty, pretty into YouTube, but that was back in the day when there's just like lots of vlogs. I wouldn't say that, it, that being in New Zealand, you know, was particularly isolating. Like there's definitely a, a really amazing community within New Zealand and the internet just kind of expands your ability to find communities online, which I certainly did. Um, but there's definitely not the same in-person communities, like just because of our smaller population, you know, conventions and stuff like that just do not take off. You know, they're a lot smaller. We don't, the communities for that sort of thing are a lot harder to facilitate than they are in other countries. How early in your life did you come in contact with the internet? We had a computer, a family computer, a big bulky computer when I was a kid, and we had dial-up. And I distinctly remember that we had one gig per month, maybe two. My dad upgraded it to two up gigs per month. And this would have been when I was like 14, maybe. 
I don't. I, probably around fourteen because I was I was using that data to watch Stargate Online. <laughs> that's what I remember. I remember that they caught they were three hundred and fifty megabytes each, and I had to be very careful with with. I got to watch like one episode a week. <laughs> you mentioned that you had some contact with YouTube back in the day. When did YouTube, as a as a consumer of content, started become an important part of you, or of your routine, of your hobby? I got really into the Vlog Brothers, and I, I still like the Vlog Brothers. And you know, I was I followed Wheezy Waiter. Like these are some of the you know quite cornerstone YouTubers that are still going today, and a lot of people are aware of. Even if they're not the most popular people on the platform, you know, they sort of cultivated the YouTube community. Those would have been the sort of people that I got into. Then I really got into it when the video essays kind of started coming about which was quite a few years later but i i mostly watched you know those uh, like a few people who kind of made vloggy type stuff that was just funny and cool or or made me think in kind of similar circles to me but once it became kind of like an educational platform something that i felt i could learn from something that i could felt i could engage intellectually with well that that really changed how i engaged with it because it suddenly became a place i could look up and learn things from you know discovering crash course you know that was so cool when i was a kid like i i loved that Crash Course History, that is, in particular. I remember. I remember that. Yeah. You must have been, I'm, I'm making sort of the math in my head, in a, about late high school when Crash Course World History started happening? Yeah, yeah. Year 12 and 13, which is like 17, 18. That would have been like when I first got onto it. And then basically all throughout university, I was I was into it. What do you went to university for? What do you study? Uh, I have two degrees. <laughs> I have a law degree, believe it or not, which of course I am not using. And I have an arts degree with a double major in uh, English and politics, although the politics side is really philosophy. That is quite a combination. How did that happen? Basically, I got out of school and I was like, I, I want to do arts, but I... It's very, very common when you talk to law students, they go, I, I want to be, I want to do art stuff, but I don't just want to be an art student. You know, I don't just want to walk away with an arts degree. And there's a bunch of reasons for that. But like, I was like, I want to do arts, but I want to do something more than that. And I'm not smart enough to do science or maths. So people do law. Uh, <laughs> not that law is easy, but it is definitely very commonly the person who is not good at maths or science, but doesn't want to just do arts. Like, I, I do notice that that is a thing. And that was kind of for me. But also, I mean, I liked law as an idea. I loved, I, I like politics. I like engaging with it. I like studying cases. That sort of stuff is engaging and interesting for me. And then the arts thing was really like a passion thing. That's where I got to study and write about stuff that I really wanted to write about that I was really interested in. I sort of picked subjects along those lines. What was I wanting to really investigate on a, on a kind of a personal level where the law was a lot more of a practical thing? I do wonder, though, do, do studying law had any influence in your interest of understanding like um, fantasy world politics? Uh, not particularly i mean the being into law was more kind of like a, a a side effect of that original interest in politics and fiction and and stuff like what i learned while doing law is has definitely been a lens through which i can study fiction but i wouldn't say that my me doing law made me more interested in studying it than i was already no when did you start experimenting with YouTube as a creator? Was this during university or after university? 
Yeah, this was during university, uh, and I was chronically terrified of anyone ever hearing me record on camera or anything like that. And which is why my earliest videos on the channel, you can find, I record myself in empty lecture theaters. And it's it's just like one minute videos of, of, of just like random skits type things. It didn't go anywhere. And basically I, I tried it for six months and I was like, okay, I've tried it. You know, I, I've tried a million things before. This was just another thing that I've tried and didn't work out. That's okay. I'll try another thing. But what was what was the stimulus there? Like, what got into you that made you say, I want to try this? I mean, <laughs> that's it's a bit hard to define, to be honest, because I have always been trying different things. And mostly, a lot of the time, it's just curiosity of, can I do this? Can I make it work? Like, I tried to run a jewelry business when I was like, 16 i bought secondhand jewelry and i tried to sell it at an upscale rate and that didn't make enough money to to be viable it wasn't that i was necessarily interested in in jewelry or anything like that in particular but uh youtube was something i could do pretty cheaply i could do myself i liked doing things where i was only interested where i only had to rely on myself it was pretty independent and it meant that i could teach myself video editing and a little bit of sound editing and a little bit of how to be on camera, all of which were skills that I kind of wanted to cultivate anyway. Trying to be a YouTuber is is something that a lot of people try, you know, they they always just give it a shot because why not? Yeah, I, I guess I just kind of wanted to see, is this something that would work for me? You know, sometimes they do, sometimes they don't. And this one, in the end, did work out, but initially it didn't. During that initial time where you just gave it six months of attempts and at the end, you were like, okay, it didn't, it didn't work out, whatever. Yeah. What got you back into that game? I tried for six months, basically creating these little skits, trying to be funny. The, the, some of them are kind of funny. The, they're not, most of them are terrible though. But towards the end of it, I was like, okay, hey, this style isn't working. What if I tried to do something a little bit different? And so I tried a few different formats of videos. They did a little bit better, but you know, like it, it was going from 60 to 70 views to a few hundred views. It was not, you know, making it on YouTube. After uh, it had been six months of trying and at that point I was happy to, to go, hey, no, I'll leave it behind. But the last video that I did was a video on how to train your dragon. And it was a theory video. It was like, hey, what happened to these, this particular type of dragon? Let's, let's look at what might've happened. It's a mystery. About six months after I stopped making videos, that video exploded to 250,000 views, which of course, to someone who's never ever had a video go viral before is insane. Yeah. Has anyone ever tried to train a dragon? No one's ever lived to tell the tale. I capitalized on that, pretty much. I saw that video going, really well and I was like oh wow I, I need to capitalize on this now so I started making other content that catered to that audience and the thing was that there was a significant group of basically a younger child audience that wanted to talk about how to train your dragon but they didn't have anyone making content for them and so I filled that niche for a good time my channel has long since devolved from there. I don't make any How to Train Your Dragon videos anymore. I haven't for a long time. That was initially where it started, that I capitalized on a video that went semi-viral for me. And then I just kept on building that audience. And suddenly I was at, I was at 500, then 1,000 and 10,000 subscribers and so on. So interestingly enough, like you accidentally run into a topic that had a 
large potential audience, mm-hmm. but that no one was making deep enough content for. Yes. Uh, and you managed to recognize that and then build a format around that. Mm-hmm. What inspired you to do that theory in the first place? Because that must have been a very dramatic shift considering all the things that you were doing before. Basically, it was me looking on YouTube and going, hey, this is a question I'm interested in. What is the answer? And finding no one had talked about it. So I was like, oh, I'll talk about it. <laughs> and that's actually, that's a really common pattern, by the way, for like my content is is that I will often be like, oh, there's a thing. And particularly early on, I'll be like, hey, there's, there's a thing. No one's talking about this. I'll talk about it. I've consistently looked for niches that are not being filled and trying to capitalize on those being like niches that aren't being filled and that I have expertise in. I'm starting to get surprised at this uh, stage of the podcast of how frequently a common trait among successful creators is when, and I will say we, because I had the same process, when we find something that we're interested in and we don't see anyone making quality content about it, the Mm. immediate reaction is fine, I will do it myself. Yeah. While you had that video explode and you started experimenting with trying to do more of that, what was happening in your life? Were you already out of university? Were you working or looking for a job? Paint us a picture of what was the context in your life at that moment. I was not at university. This was in my first or second year that I started that initial six month thing. And then I think it was my second year that it exploded. And so it was throughout my second, third, fourth and fifth years that I was building up my channel very slowly. For for the vast majority of my channel's life, I have been a student. I was studying at the same time and doing exams at the same time. And I was producing up to three videos a week at the start. That was when I was really going at it hard. And then I went down to two and I mean, my schedules changed immensely since then. But yeah, I was consistently making content. Wait, how in the world did you get two degrees while attending a YouTube channel and making three videos a month? Just explain it to me, please. I was also working. (laughs) Holy crap. Uh, I mean, like the videos were often pretty short, you know, they were four to five minutes. And a a lot of the time they were pulling on knowledge that I already had. I, I mean, I was working at this flat out. Like I loved it. Like, you know, I was, I was consistently working every moment that I had extra. And I've always been kind of a bit more, a bit of an obsessive individual in that sense that I I don't necessarily need like downtime or rest if it's like a cool thing. Like that to me is the thing that I want to work on. Uh, so, so I would just, I would just consistently work on that. But I mean, there was a significant change towards with my final year where I had been building up this channel. I was at, uh, I don't know, maybe a hundred or 200,000 subscribers or something. And I was like, okay, I've got one more year and I love doing YouTube. It's everything I have wanted to do. If I'm going to make this work when I get out of here, this is my final shot. I don't have any more flexible time as a student. I would be working full time. So I've got to make this work before it ends. And I handed in my resignation to my job at the time, which was incredibly satisfying. I did that in January. And I, and I said to myself, okay. If I'm going to make this work, I have to be willing to take a hit for my grades. And I pretty much in my final year stopped studying. Wow. And devoted all of my time to YouTube. 
Now that was a gamble. Yeah, it was, I mean, I'd say it was a gamble, but um, law school is actually a little bit interesting in the sense that your hardest years are not your final year or even your second to last year. It's actually typically your second and third year, at least in New Zealand. So I was mostly doing electives at that time, which are typically a little bit easier. Not always, but typically. Yes, it was definitely a gamble, but it 100% paid off and I managed to really grow my YouTube channel in that final year, meaning that by the time that I was graduating, I was already working full time as a YouTuber and I could very easily transition into the into the position that I now have. Wow. Okay. So uh, you graduate. What was happening in your channel at that moment? How had your content and your format evolved? There are kind of maybe three major evolutions. The first thing was that I was I, I, I expanded from how to train your dragon content to Avatar content. Avatar The Last Airbender, that is. It's always been basically my favorite show ever. And I realized that there just wasn't content being made for it, at least the content that I felt could be made and needed to be made, or at least would be really great to see. And so I did. And it was massively successful. Like it was even more successful than How to Train Your Dragon. And I was, I was like, oh my gosh, goodness. So I really grew it on that front. And then I expanded to a few other fandoms like The Lord of the Rings, all of which are things that I've always been passionate about. And that's kind of been a guiding rule for me is that I don't really want to talk about things that I don't know about. I want my passion to be reflected in my work. And so I can't talk about things that I'm not super passionate about. So that, that, was, that was one change. But the thing that really really defined and kind of foundationally set my channel to be what it is and what I want it to be was that I started a series called the On Writing series, which was basically me looking at fiction, uh, tropes in fiction, things in fiction, first, how do you write a first chapter, that sort of stuff, and talking, taking examples from fiction and saying, hey, how do these authors do their stuff? What makes it good? Why did these work so well? What can we learn from them? And the On Writing series was basically me trying to create super in-depth writing discussions that I wasn't seeing on YouTube. A lot of it was, you know, oh, five tips to improve your first chapter. Introduce your main character. And I'll be like, okay, how do you do that? <laughs> yeah, that, that, that's, it's that sort of thing. I made my first video on that and I was expecting really small like i was not expecting the video to do well and it hit like a million views wow yeah it was probably another example of of like me seeing that there was like a niche that needed to be filled i mean i didn't know it you don't know these things consciously it was something i wanted to see and so i, I made it and that that series has defined my channel since then that is the core and bread and butter of my channels talking about fiction why certain stories work why certain stories don't work and then I expanded that to world building, which is another side of fiction where you talk about how do you create a fictional world? I love making that content. And I knew once I made those videos, I was like, this is what I want to do. Because talking about nerdy stuff is great, but it doesn't feel as meaningful because it doesn't feel like I'm making content that is making a difference in people's lives. And education is definitely something that is going to be able to do that, making education that is free, accessible, understandable to people of all ages and not kept behind a, you know, not kept behind a paywall. It sounds like a part of an audience that is going to find a lot of value in what you do are writers and people who want to write either their own fiction or just write in general. However, I find it interesting that there's a side effect 
that people who are currently not writing fiction, like myself, are still finding value just because of how deeply you go into a topic and it makes it interesting to understand. I know this for a fact because just me and one of my best friends, which we are hugely into The Last Airbender and Avatar in general, Hmm. we have binge watched a lot of your videos about the topic just as an idea of how to explore more deeply the world and the politics of that world, of how it all connects together. What in your mind, when you're fabricating a video, is your core audience that you want to reach the people doing creative writing or are you always trying to keep in mind how to keep a a broader view Uh, the core group for the on writing series has always been i think people who are yeah people who are wanting to write a book but often feel a bit lost when they go and you know read about writing advice online either because it like writing books if you read them they can be very academic they can be very kind of high and mighty and they can have these very strange rules and models and things and i I was like okay we've got to bring this down to earth we've got to bring this down to the person who is just wanting to write a book and doesn't want to learn about literary theory you know like let's just talk about why fiction works why people like stuff so it's it's very much for me about you know those people who just want to who 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 just want to write a book it's for those creative writers and those people who want to learn more about the craft who want to talk more about the craft and and kind of understand more deeply their own fiction have the ability to look at their own fiction and go, oh, okay, maybe this isn't working as well as I thought it would. It's a lot about both looking at the stuff we read, but also about the stuff, looking at the stuff we create and being able to critique our own stuff. Another question, which I realize hasn't come up through your story. So what's up with the name? Where did the name Hello <laughs> Future Me came from? Uh, well, that goes right back to those original videos in the six months. Is, I mean, like, you get stuck with it. You get stuck with the name. And I've, I've considered changing it before, but it's like, I don't know what I would even change it to. But in those original six months, I was I was making videos for my future self so that I could look back on my time throughout university and be like, hey, this is me. So I was going, Hello Future Me. And that idea, by the way, only lasted like a month. So there's only like a few videos that even <laughs> stuck to that idea. But I never changed the channel name. And then once it explodes, you can't change it. It's it's sealed. It's your fate <laughs> forever. Accidental branding. Yeah, accidental branding. Wow. Uh, but apparently it feels at least recognizable. But it is very strange because I get emails going, you know, hello, hello, future me. Or, you know, they say, that's hello, future me. And it's such a jarring thing for anyone. Like, it's not jarring for me anymore. But for anyone else hearing the phrase like, that's hello, future me is just such a it's such a terrible way terrible kind of phrasing because it doesn't make any sense (laughs) what lessons have you learned through this process of refining the content that you do that you wish you could go back in time and tell yourself earlier when you were still trying to form the thoughts like if i could go back in time to when i was like when i was making content earlier on and what would I tell myself then? Not just early. Okay, after the first battle video that you're like, okay, there's something here. I need to refine. I need to refine it. What lessons have you learned since then that you wish you could take with yourself back to that time? Get a better microphone and quickly learn how to do use Audacity. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but also learn that like you don't need to be being animated and being upbeat is not the same as being interesting. <laughs> <laughs> there's there's it's just there's a lot of like subtlety stuff like that. <laughs> I don't know, a lot of it would be would be technical stuff, just just making it easier on the ears and the eyes, and there's just a lot of simple stuff that a lot of people miss. 
that I missed, you know, but now no. I'd say try and actually connect with other YouTubers because that changed my life drastically. Actually connecting with other people in the YouTube community just radically improved my life. That's an interesting topic because once again, you are literally on the other side of the world from most of the rest of the community. So mm -hmm. how did you manage to do that? Also, like, I don't think I'd go back and tell myself anything too dangerous because it's like everything panned out really well. So I don't want to tamper with that. Yeah. You know? But uh, in terms of uh, connecting with other community, like, I mean, th for the first thing, there's only like three of us, by the way, in Christchurch. Like th there are three YouTubers that I know of that do this full time. And I know one of them. And like there is just there's just no one because it's such a it's it we, we just don't have the population for there to be that many of us and those that are are in the bigger cities up north. VidCon is what VidCon Australia. That's the closest one. Exactly, VidCon Australia, and that's the smallest of the three. So yeah, there's there's that inability to connect with people physically. Unlike in you know you go to America and there's there's thousands of them in LA and they they can all easily get together. But I went to VidCon for the first time and connected with a whole bunch of people there. And then I joined uh, Standard, which is, you know, the agency. And then that connects me with a bunch more. Ever since then, I've also just kind of more organically, because sometimes I didn't really know how to do it originally you know it's basically making friends but it's making friends with 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 a lot more distance and a lot less tools available to you in some sense i've connected with a bunch of people in my circles now and it can be a lonely job being a youtuber when you don't have people around you because you don't have anyone around you who knows what the job is like and what the struggles are like yeah well i mean now i do have those people around me and it's it's a lot it's a lot allows you get a sort of perspective on Hey, am I working too much on this? Is this kind of script bad for YouTube? You know, like, it, otherwise it's literally just you on your own trying to figure this stuff out. It's a social thing, but it's also kind of a work value thing. So you, you have never been to VidCon Europe or VidCon US? I've never been to uh, Europe, though, at all. I would love to go to VidCon London, but like going to, you know, going to, to Europe is a $10,000 trip for someone in New Zealand. You know, it's not- Jesus. Yeah, it's it's not a it's not a thing. Like that is a big investment, you know, <laughs> going going to Europe and back here. And I mean, like I, there's, there's the big question for, for New Zealanders, which is that if you go overseas, you know, you don't go for a short period. You can't really go because it's so expensive to get over there. We should all come together with like a plan for all, all, all of us <laughs> to spend like two weeks together or something so you can justify it. <laughs> I would love that. VidCon uh, London would be great. I'd like to go there. Apparently it's a lot lower key in terms of like crazy people than uh, VidCon LA. <laughs> Obviously, since you have told me just how expensive it is, um, uh, I, I will. I wish I could recommend you to go to both, just so you can see the contrast. But yeah, <laughs> if, if you if you have to to choose, main VidCon, VidCon Anaheim is is cool, but it's very stressing, and VidCon London is way more relaxed. <laughs> it's cool, but it's way more relaxed. Yeah, this is a story that I'm getting not only from a lot of people, but I'm not also verify myself. Being part of a mm. community is a before and an after for any YouTube's career. Oof, mm. uh, it's it's transformative. Definitely. Let's talk about the future. What do you see as the next great steps that you aim to do with your channel and your YouTube career? Anything interesting that you can talk about over the horizon? I'm probably a little bit interesting in the sense that I have always kind of viewed YouTube as a means to an end, in the sense that my number one passion has and probably always will be being an author. So I've used my platform to basically build towards 
launching myself into a career as a, as a writer. A big plan for me is, is you know, I'm going to continue doing YouTube and everything like that, but I, I want to publish my book traditionally and to use YouTube as kind of a way to promote that, which is, you know, it's very common for YouTubers to publish these books, to publish these books these days, but this has always been my plan. In terms of like specific things that I want to do content wise, I mean, I, I have videos that I've got planned and I would like to do a lot more writing technique videos, which are not things we see on YouTube much, like looking specifically at things like prose and tone and atmosphere and how we can create those in our writing on kind of like a line by line level. People talk a lot about big ideas, you know, about structure, things that can apply to film and to books and to games and everything. I, I'd really like to kind of target more book specific stuff, stuff that can only be done in books, because I think that the writing community, its needs aren't necessarily being met in that respect. Excellent. The, the last question here will be, let's say that someone listening to this is someone that is going to find or is finding inspiration through your channel to do something creatively or in YouTube, the way you found inspiration of so many people before you. Mm. What will be your key like advice to them. Okay, well, caveat this by saying that, you know, there is so much luck involved, it's difficult to understate how much luck is involved, and that, you know, even if you're, you're making incredible content, there is unfortunately no guarantee that it's going to be picked up, and, and that is important to keep in mind because it can be really demoralizing when stuff that you put effort into doesn't go well. Uh, what would I say in terms of advice is that don't worry about the super expensive equipment that people, you know, go on about a lot of the time. I worked with a $150 camera and a free video editing software for months and months and months before I could afford to get something better than that. And I just dealt with it. I focused mainly on the content. Audio is really the only thing that I think you really need to get well. And then secondly, make content either better than it's currently being made out there or make content that no one else is making. Because those are the only two ways that I've ever really felt that I can grow my channel. Excellent. Well, thank you very much for this. Thank you very much for having me on, man. 